Hello, and welcome back to the alleged fancy fantasy football podcast with our 100th episode in a row that is only about movies. I am your host and quasi-commissioner Patrick Polk, and I'm here for a special Oscars edition with my roommate Jennifer Murphy. Say hello, Jen. Hey, do you think we're ever going to do fantasy football again? I hope so. We'll see. The the passion has faded, certainly. Significantly, yeah, it's true. But uh, anyway... How are you doing, Jen? I'm all right. It's a busy, busy week. Busy yeah, we, weekend. I feel disoriented. We're recording this on the Friday before the Oscars because I wanted to hopefully record one before the Oscars happened. And we managed to finish off watching the last Best Picture nominee. So we, we just snuck it in before my parents visit uh, to do a combined birthday party. So really just squeaking it under the gun. And last week was Lily's birthday. And next week is Kit's birthday. And... Kit's moving daycares and we're potty training Kit. There's just like a lot of things happening. Indeed. I shouldn't even say potty training. Kit is done potty training. Kit was like, okay, fine. I'll use underwear now. So we're here to talk about the Oscars. Um, As I said, we saw all 10 Best Picture nominees. This is the first time we've had a full slate of 10. Apparently they're mandating 10 now. I didn't realize that was a rule change that happened. Um, So you suggested the order we go in is the order we watched them in. So I will do that. Uh, shall we begin? Yeah. All right. The first one we saw, I saw before you did, but then I think it was still the first one you saw. Dune. Yeah, you saw that in my in the theater with my parents? Yes, in IMAX. And IMAX? That just means big screen, not like 3D, right? Yeah, it just means very big screen, high quality picture. Um, allegedly better sound also. But also, I was next to your mom, uh, and she double fisted wine and took my armrest. <laughs> so that was good. Classic. Yep. Classic P-Money. So just two glasses for that whole movie? I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, she made it last. And it's a long movie. Yeah. But anyway, what do you think of Dune? Um, I had a bad attitude going into it, which will surprise you. Not at all. Um, because sci-fi. And I guess I was thinking, like, I knew it wasn't going to be a superhero movie. And then I saw a preview and thought it looked good. And uh, we watched it at home, so I did not get to see it in the theater. But I was very pleasantly surprised. A little anticlimactic because it is just half a movie. Um. And I feel I could have been warned more adequately about that. Like, call it part one or something. It was like... They did. They, they called it part one. Did they? Yeah. It was like the most pronounced, like more than any of these other movies, like Lord of the Rings, all that other stuff. Those all felt like standalone movies within a series. And Dune was like unabashedly, unabashedly half a film. Yes. That is my only criticism. I loved it. I was excited when I first saw the first trailer for it. It looked amazing and it had a lot of people I really like in it. And so as soon as I saw the first trailer, I was really excited about it. And I love the director. Denis Villeneuve, who did Arrival and uh, Blade Runner 2049, and Enemy, which Jen loved. Oh, my God. Is that that spider movie? Don't spoil it. Fuck that spider movie. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't. I'm well. It was still interesting. It was just whatever. It was fine. I'm not sad we watched it. Um, Yeah, that's funny. I was trying to think of it. I was like, well, why do I like this movie? And and as I'm trying to remember it, I was like, I don't even know if I remember much about the plot. All I remember is like vibes. Which is that director fully. Like. Yeah, he just... Uh, <laughs> and, and they're so good. Like, honestly, Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, and now Dune Part 1. Three bangers. Absolutely love it. I admit Enemy wasn't quite quite as high on my list. But those no. three are all awesome. I can't... I just obviously love this director now. Yeah, Arrival was so good. Arrival was such a pleasant surprise that year that we saw that one. I love mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I feel like my expectations were low and the genre doesn't... Like, I just, I, I, I guess I worry that there's a slight 
risk of overappreciation for this type of movie because we're just kind of like not expecting it to like the actual plot was pretty basic right in a lot of ways like it's the the father-son thing the coming of age thing the power like it's nothing original or that we haven't seen before and i know they're tied to the source material in that um, uh, it's a I mean, it's a savior story. Well, I guess what's interesting about the source material is that, like, this source material came before so many of the other things that this now, like, feels derivative of, mm-hmm. including Star Wars and all that other stuff. But so, so it's not, like, a, it's not a criticism exactly, but I just I just wonder if it's, like, somewhat limited in how truly amazing it can be. I, I do feel like it was executed as well as it probably could have been. Is I mean, I again, having not read it. I did want to read it after I saw the movie, which is shocking. And my friend who likes sci-fi a lot had to talk me off a ledge and remind me that I don't, in fact, like sci-fi and have tried to read it many, 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 many times and never like it. <laughs> so I'm not going to read it, but. Apparently it gets buck wild later in the series. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, Timothy Chalamet was so good. Oscar Isaac, is that his name? He was so good. Zendaya. The, the mom was so good. Zendaya, I find to be ever so slightly overrated. And I know that's not a popular opinion. Like, she's fine. But I feel like she didn't stand out to me as much as everybody else. And the guy from Game of Thrones is awesome. The comic relief. Oh, what's his name? Idaho Jones or something like that. He yeah. has a really ridiculous name. Anyway, yeah. everyone is so good. I just, I feel like there are criticisms here. I feel Jared like Butler. it is my job to unearth them. And I just, honest to God, can't remember this movie well enough to do it. Uh, you don't Did watch- I have them at the time? Did you have concerns? Criticism. Only, really only that it was half a movie, which is a valid criticism. But also, I don't want to watch a seven hour movie. So yeah. <laughs> two, three and a half hour movies is the way to go. Yeah. I also feel like I'm like forever a victim of the expectations problem. If I expect something to be bad and it's good, I'm like, it takes me a long time to to come back down from being just like so pleasantly surprised that I didn't hate it. <laughs> That's going to be a recurring theme when I talk about how much I liked these different Oscar movies because my expectations were relatively mostly relatively low with a couple of exceptions and then when the expectations did not match my experience it really shifted how i felt about the movie quite a lot i think speaking of which the next movie is nightmare alley what do you think of nightmare alley i'm like how are we done talking about dune but we have to do a lot of movies i guess we'll move along i hated nightmare alley so much fuck nightmare alley what the hell Oh my God, it was so painful. It was so painful from like the moment it started. And I didn't I didn't know anything about it, which is probably for the best, but it was just like that sense of dread when I saw the direction they were going with this and realized that I had to continue to sit through the entire movie. And then there'd be brief moments when I hoped like, oh, maybe they're going to go a different way. No, no. Unrelenting slog of pain. Yeah, it was, it was Guillermo del Toro and I like him more than you do. Um, I, I, how do you feel about Shape of Water for a reminder? Oh my God. I think it was better than Nightmare Alley. And I would have guessed that I could not, like, I would have thought if I had realized it was him, which I didn't, um, I would have been like, well, no matter what, it'll be better than Shape of Water. Yeah. I was disappointed. I like Guillermo del Toro, uh, like Pan's Labyrinth, uh, Pacific Rim. Those are quality. He has a lot of older stuff, obviously. Uh, but his recent high budget things have been overall pretty good. I didn't like, I didn't love Shape of Water. I liked it much more than you did because I didn't despise it. Does he just, does he just direct them or does he write them too? Well, this is, this was a remake of a movie. From I know the, the other ones though. Um, I believe, I don't recall. I think he writes some of them. But. Cause that's so interesting to me. Like, I feel like those other two obviously have much more of like a m- mystical 
surreal, whatever magical realism thing going on. And that works better for him. He can like, like this was this movie, probably because it was a remake. It's just the plot is just so straightforward. So I don't feel like his directing helped at all. Like it didn't shine in any way. And the plot and movie were still bad. Yeah, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with the original movie. I, um, I thought it was going to be much creepy. I thought it was going to be more horrific, like, like a dark, twisted fairy tale sort of thing. And it was not at all that. It was like a bad revenge story, sad tragedy. Yes. It really, it felt a lot like a short story turned into a movie. Like really in love with its own, like it had like one thing (laughs) and it was going to explore it. And then it tried to build this plot around it that only ever kind of, made sense or was good or interesting and there were so many people in it and it still was pretty bad and Bradley Cooper I don't even think I have a problem with his performance like no one could save this is the interesting thing to me there was like a twist that I genuinely didn't see coming but the twist was so dumb and unfathomable as a thing that could have happened that like it did that didn't even help nothing helped I guess, I mean, I think we can put spoiler warnings on you. We're going to talk about all these movies. Why don't, why don't you say what? I don't know. I honestly don't know which thing you're referring to as a twist. I'm referring to when the lady double crosses him at the end. And I think. And that's I, not even at the end. There's there's like a lot of room yeah. left. And I don't, I'm sure some people did see that coming. Especially I, people who saw the movie from the 30s. Yeah, right. Those people. <laughs> yeah. There was like, yeah, there was like a brief moment where he was learning his magic. And I was like, maybe this movie won't be terrible the whole time. And he isn't they're just going to go down the road of, like, corrupted by his own talent. There was, like, an interesting thing of, like, they kept saying it, um, don't do the spook show, right? Like, I feel like there was, like, hints at an interesting movie that could have existed. But instead, it went the, like, in some ways, the most straightforward path that it could have gone. But then as it was doing that, there were so many weird plot missteps that it made. And it, it bummed me out because I guess like, and maybe this is the directing piece of it. Like it was visually quite something. Yeah, it was very pretty. Um, and also the funny thing to me, again, having not seen the original, but it just felt like a very bad version of the prestige or the illusionist. Yes. And that was unexpected and, to me as well. And it's not like you remember the prestige and the illusionist and think like what pinnacles of art. Yeah, like those were like obviously ripped off by not being nominated for Best Picture. We didn't feel that way. It just was like a fun magic movie <laughs> yeah exactly like fun and, and, this it was, was and, fun. and notable that they came out at like the exact same moment yeah and this was an unfun magic movie yes and like he is a good casting choice for that type of per- i feel like they didn't even do a good job of making him seem super talented like i it i just feel like it didn't do anything well other than look pretty and even that i mean it looked pretty isn't the right word because it was like disgusting but like Vintage. whatever yeah it was like it was like sumptuous and it's disgustingness. Art Deco. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of um, the uh, Bo- Bioshock video games where it's like a decaying, opulent 30s vibe. Yeah. Um, but yeah. not a. What did that female character add? Like, I think they thought she did. I don't know that that's Which true. One? There's, there's His a... love interest. Yeah. Like, Marlene. she was just, I understand she was like the collateral damage of his ambition. But like, I don't think that story added anything to our understanding of that. And she didn't, they did a bad job of having her have any, like, anyway, the whole thing. Ugh. And then 
you knew they were going to do it with the ending. You knew they were going to do it. But for some reason, when they finally did it, I was like more irritated than I expected. Yeah. Like you knew it when they, in the beginning, when they yeah. showed, they were like, oh, this is where he ends up, huh? That's the, that's what we're doing here. This is the decline of this, this con man. Start to finish all the way to the bottom. Um, next, just to round off the favorites, uh, don't look up. This is a bad. We that was that was a rough one-two punch watching yep. those together. Yeah, that movie fucking sucked. I also so I kind of was hoping to like Nightmare Alley because I like Guillermo del Toro and I thought it would kind of be horrific and spooky and it was not at all. Uh, and then I was kind of I I'd heard some backlash to Don't Look Up and so I, people said it was like more of the same from Adam McKay and that it wasn't very good but i was like i don't think i am yet tired of adam mckay's shtick i think i could like this movie and so i was like hoping to still like it despite the criticisms i had seen and i i hated it also it's so funny hearing you like list out the directors like did did everybody just decide they weren't going to watch this movies the movies this year and just like pick from the director list of people who have previously done good stuff because that's most of these movies yeah there's so many movies that are just directed by famous especially the first few and the last licorice pizza Mm -hmm. i'm sure if you give me the like i i I, we need to make sure we talk about the directors every time so this is certainly certainly nightmare alley and what are we even talking don't look up our movies that like this person has previously done deserved oscar nominated films have you heard of steven spielberg (laughs) yes sure have which one did he direct west side story ah yes yes he did (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah, don't look up. Uh, cartoonishly bad. I, I, so I'd heard that it was heavy-handed with its messaging, um, and so it was kind of dumb. But I was like, man, like a lot of like the, Adam, the other Adam McKay movies are very heavy-handed and set, but funny satires, and like they're still kind of fast-moving and funny. But this one, I just thought was not entertaining at all. Like they were so obvious with the metaphor, and I obviously approve the message, but. It just wasn't well done as a movie, and it wasn't funny or entertaining. So it just didn't work on any level for me, other than the overall message of global warming bad. Right. Yeah, I feel like it was, like, vaguely insulting to all of our intelligence (laughs) that he thought that this was so clever. Um, And then it wasn't even, like, it wasn't, again, wasn't good on any level. Like, it did not add anything to the exploration of the topic of global warming. It was so heavy-handed as to be, like, when I was watching it, I felt like it was, like, not that far removed from like SNL skits on any of the topics he was discussing. Like it was, but then it was still taking itself seriously. So it wasn't like what, uh, what was that other movie? Idiocracy or something? Oh, Idiocracy, yeah. That, is that the one with? That's the one that is, that's by um, Mike Judge and it's. With, is, is that the movie I'm thinking of? With electrolytes. It's got what planks crave. Yeah, everybody's just like super dumb. Yeah. And yeah, and it's like a post modern society situation yeah the the whole plot is that an average man is put into cryo sleep he's chosen because he's exactly average in every way including intelligence and he goes to sleep for a long time wakes up and because everyone got stupider because all the stupid people are having a lot of kids and all the busy professionals weren't having any kids he was now the smartest man on earth because he because everyone got so stupid in the meantime it's been a long time since i saw that movie but i feel like that movie was funnier and had more to say. That movie was much funnier. I laughed so hard. I mean, it was extremely juvenile, but it was very funny. And I don't like comedy or particularly juvenile comedy. Like that, like I am not the audience for that movie. And I, when we were watching this, I was like, haven't we already done this movie, but better? Like, 
but it's like he couldn't decide if he was trying to do his normal thing or that and so it was just a combination of like little skits on the state of current dialogue on politics and then like why did we have the Timothy Chalamet side plot at the end? Like the, like other bizarre decisions like that. I kind of wonder, I'm interested if Abby has thoughts on this. I feel like Abby and I have talked about this with authors. Like they get so popular that they start not always being edited the same way. Like I wonder if that happens with like directors and writers. Like you get so good that you can just do whatever you want and no one tells you like, oh, this sucks. I mean, that's kind of the premise of the blank check podcast where like you get so famous that you can get anything greenlit and and so yeah and this one so what we we, we talked about this movie when we first watched it we i i think we kind of came to the agreement that a big reason that this was much less successful than his other movies was that it, he, it was completely a fictional parable for a real world issue as opposed to just lampooning a very a real life ridiculous situation. Uh, and so like it wasn't based on a true story and made into hyperbolic, you know, comedy. It was just a fictional parable. And so everything was made up and it was just so stupid. Yeah. Yes. Obviously the first one he did on the foreclosure crisis was like perfectly in the big his, short. the big short was like perfectly in his lane. Is he like a major bro? He like I I don't know. Yeah, I mean he uh he started funny or die with Will Ferrell and so he's he, a major bro. Yeah, he did he did Anchorman and yes, all that exactly. Stuff, yeah. So like he had that that was like the perfect thing for him. It was like this like interesting hot topic issue that people don't know a ton about that he could explore, but it existed entirely in the world of finance bros. So his jokes were perfect for it, and it was like unique and interesting and funny and like. I think somewhat limited. Like, I don't think it was like the most amazing movie that existed, but I really enjoyed watching it. And Vice was also, it was less good, but still entertaining and like a successful uh, satire of. It's reaching back to to have this take because I don't remember perfectly, but I I suspect that Vice, I, 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 my memory is that I was like, I don't know that this needed to be nominated. Yeah, you, did. You, you said that, yes. <laughs> so, like, I enjoyed that one, too, and agree to all of the things you said. But, like, why are we nominating this? And it just feels like the decline has just continued. But, again, I think it's I think it's the steep decline because of the making it up whole cloth part. Oh, yeah. Yes. It did not work. And the ending? Oh, my God. All of it. Moving on. How do you move on? Here's the best part. Who was in that movie? Who was in? Who was this? Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio. That's right. And uh... oh man, see, this is the problem. We talk about these movies a lot, and then we do a podcast, and like I forget what I've, I, I like, I'm really just continuing a conversation we've mostly already had with each other. But I, this must be said. Can we all please, like, what is this universal fiction that we're all participating in, where Leonardo DiCaprio is currently some sort of like sex symbol? We need to move on from that. It's upsetting. Jennifer Lawrence. Kate Blanchett, Meryl Streep, Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, that didn't help. Jonah Hill, the the Leo Mark thing. Mark Rylance. It's a stacked cast. The Leo thing didn't help, and the and Jennifer Lawrence. Unpopular opinion. I just don't think she's. I don't think she's been oh. good since Winter's Bone. Looking at the uh, cast list, I'm reminded the best part of that movie by far was the uh, song "Towards the End" by Ariana Grande. That was funny. That was very funny. Uh, but. Going the other direction of expectations, the next one is Power of the Dog. I didn't know anything about that movie other than it was made by Jane Campion. And 
that it was a Western. And so I thought it was going to be a slow, boring Western that I didn't like. And it was a slow Western, but it was much more interesting than I thought it would be. And I, I liked it way more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, I knew even less than you. I think I'd have to look at what happened at what time. I do think there was an extensive, there was a large portion of the beginning of the movie that I'm still not convinced works or like needed to be shortened or changed or something. Like, I think there's an unevenness problem in that movie that I have not spent enough time thinking about. But the direction it goes, the ending, obviously the Benedict performance, the kids' performance are all fantastic. And it is very interesting I have a couple of these movies we've walked away from and over time I find myself stewing and being like, man, it's even worse than I thought. And then this one is one of the only ones that went in the other direction where the further I've gotten away from it, the more I've been like, man, I really did like that movie. Yeah, I really liked it a lot. Certainly the core of the movie is the Benedict Cumberbatch and the kid who is named is Cody Smith McPhee. Um, Like that is the heart of the movie and the, and the good part of the movie. The Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst relationship and plot uh, was obviously important to have, like, um, the object of Benedict Cumberbatch's bullying. Like, it's not just the young kid that he's giving a hard time. It's everyone, and he's driving everyone literally crazy. Um, But that plot, like, I can't believe they both got nominated uh, for supporting actor and actress roles. I, I did not like their characters or, or how it was done, but I kind of like glide over that when I think of how much I like the movie because I really like the overall plot and I really like the revenge. And it, it, it gave it was an extremely slow burn, but it gave me Phantom Thread vibes in the end, which is which was very pleasant. I, I was yeah, but I, I do think it's a mistake. Like, even though even though you liked it, I liked it. Like, I think it's a mistake to not acknowledge, like, perhaps the magnitude of the misstep with, some of that early stuff and with those the, those characters in particular. The Kirsten Dunst thing in, is like honestly I think unforgivable and it's probably a source material problem because this was based on a novel or a short story I can't remember written a really yeah. really long fucking time ago by a dude but like he basically this is like a single mother whose husband has died living in the west and he teases her for like two days and she just becomes a raging alcoholic what? Yeah, she. I, I can't. I did not like her character at all. It was very underdeveloped, and she just like was yeah, completely f- emotionally fragile, and just lost everything. And they gave it no depth. I mean, like it was like a hand waving. It was like, ah, oh, you know, when the women get the vapors and can't function anymore. And 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 on contrastingly, Benedict Cumberbatch's character, when you're first introduced to him, he's just a mean, rough cowboy, uh, who's like yeah, mean to his brother, mean to everyone, but then. Throughout the course of the movie, like, oh, he's actually really smart and really talented. And Jesse Plemons' character is actually the dumb brother, even though he's supposed to be, like, the businessman. And so, like, they developed Benedict Cumberbatch's character a lot and gave him layers that were revealed throughout the course of the movie. And the kid, obviously, uh, he was this creepy, maybe autistic, feminine stilt man. <laughs> and uh, and so you don't get a vibe for him at, at all at first besides him being really weird. And then he's like, oh, he's very dark and weird yeah they yeah the kid in particular was just like i thought they did such a fantastic job with his character and it was such a delight but maybe part of it is like i think i could have dealt with the kirsten dunn thing as a plot device if they had then treated her as if she was just a plot device but the way that 
the director or whatever I don't know I don't I don't know how movies work how much was the writing decisions and how much was the direction but the way that they focused on her as if she was also a real character with layers it was like but she's not and you're not trying to make her that so like please stop with the extended scenes showing us her as if she makes any sense <laughs> like fine she's a plot device for these other two characters then let's stay with the other two characters and let her be a plot device and Jesse Plemons I feel like I'm taking fucking crazy pills because people talk about how good he is and I have never seen him in anything where I've been like what a good actor I feel like he always he delivers all lines the same way no matter what he's in maybe I'm missing something I don't think he was good at all and I don't love Kirsten Dunst either but I mean like he he worked okay for that character and I suppose if I'm like I was getting a little like oh, this is a gender issue. But like his character isn't terribly well-developed either, I suppose. Yeah, the only it was just a twist that he you maybe thought he was like the smart, sophisticated business brother who had to deal with his rough-and-tumble older brother. And then they twist and he's actually kind of a dum-dum. That was the I only... I think they make it clear that he's a dum-dum <laughs> kind of right away. Yeah. Partially with the casting choice. Oh. Um, yeah, the, I'm trying to remember. In the beginning, the way they were dwelling on Benedict's particular like abuse felt excessive I I I'm maybe not remembering all of it perfectly well but there was the beginning just wasn't really working for me at all and I when it's a movie like that where there's such movement and there's such a twist like I almost feel like I'd have to go back and rewatch it and see if like does it work better when I know what's coming but in the beginning I just feel I, I feel like I had a very strong sense of like what are we doing here yeah. I I definitely well maybe not definitely but I I Forgive it much more than you do, and I think I liked it more than you. To me, it was comfortably second place behind Dune as my favorites of all 10 movies. Yeah, it's up there for me. I'm just not sure that an entire movie can exist in service of the twist, especially if it's that late. And especially if you're going to draw out that beginning as much as she did. I don't know. I mean, yeah, different preferences, I suppose. But I liked it quite a bit. It is hard now having her, the director, having said some really, really dumb shit or one really, really dumb thing. Um, Bums me out that I can't just like wholeheartedly root yeah. for her mm-hmm. yeah i'm like oh sweetheart yeah moving right along the next one we saw was west side story directed by steven spielberg also a remake so many remakes uh dune was already made nightmare at Mally was already made power of the dog was already booked and west side story was already musical and a movie i didn't like the first one i didn't like this one i'm not i don't think that's steven spielberg's fault i think i just don't like west side story i think it's boring and i think Romeo and Juliet is boring and needs to stop being made. I understand this is from a long time ago. I, I'm i confused about all the talk I heard of it beforehand is like, it completely reinvigorated West Side Story. Like, what a unique take. And I feel like it was like frame for frame, not that much different. Like, I guess they updated some things a little. Yeah. Uh, I, I've seen some Twitter debate about this, like, to people who are hardcore fans, they made a lot of changes. They they rearranged some scenes. Uh, they changed the setting of other scenes. And so some people are like, it's a shot for shot remake. And the, the hardcore fans are like, you're an idiot who can never speak again if you say that. I think this is like ballet. We watch ballet with Lily a lot, right? And like people will be like, so-and-so's like amazing reinterpretation of Swan Lake. And you're like, they're literally doing so many of the exact same moves at the same time. But there's this like understanding of like what is supposed to go where. And like even little changes are like a big reinterpretation. I feel like it's got to be like that for yeah, musicals. It's, just, it's accepted as canon. And so any change is a big deal. Yeah. So I agree. I, in general, as I've said a few times, 
plays turned into movies, the biggest of red flags for my enjoyment of the movie, but also musicals that maybe other than like animated musicals, maybe I just can't, it's a high bar for me to get into. I literally laughed out loud whenever they started trying to intimidatingly dance and snap their fingers, which I did when I watched the original one, did when I watched this one. It is just so absurd whenever a big group of people are doing something else and they start singing and dancing and pretending that that's normal and and taking place. And the plot is just Romeo and Juliet. Ansel Elgort was not very good at singing or acting. He he was out of place. And then all this controversy came out as as the movie was being released. So I don't want to root for him. Um, The girl from Hamilton was really good and she's nominated rightfully. So she, the whatever, this this older sister. sister. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was good. Um, and the guy who played Riff, I think his name is. He was, yeah, a couple of a... those little kids, the like boy gang boys, a couple of them are good. And he and he reminded me like he had like a thick cartoonish New York accent, and so he kind of reminded me of like a like a literal like cartoon rat. Like he looked like maybe he was oh maybe he was like one of the weasels from um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He was kind of like a, yeah. a real life version of one of yeah, those he guys, was. and so that was fun. Um, but yeah, overall didn't like it at all. Just am over the story and the musical and. I know that you only saw this after I pointed it out. I did not read about this in advance, but my mind was blown by every shot being blown out with lens flare constantly. That, that was the real contribution to the uh, reinterpretation was the lens flare. Yeah, it was like a J.J. Abrams Star Wars, Star Trek movie on crack with just ev- like puddles had lens flare and windows reflections had lens flare and obviously streetlights had lens flare every source of light created an insane lens flare and it and people thought this movie was like stunningly beautiful and well shot and i was again besides laughing at the dancing i was laughing at the lens flare the entire time i just could not get over many artificial things about this movie it just strongly felt to me like this just didn't need to happen like I'm sure he did a good job shooting things, uh, lens flare aside. Um, some of the performances were really good. He did, they did update small parts of it. But like, maybe this movie about race-based street gangs written by a white dude in the 60s. Was it the 60s? Yeah, I think so. Just didn't need to be made again. Like, maybe... It just needed to be left where it was. Yeah, I I have no love for West Side Story. I'm sorry to the true fans out there. I also am stunned by how little chemistry the two leads had together when that is presumably the entire point. Like, we are supposed to believe that these two people fell in love in, like, one night. That is the whole Romeo and Juliet thing. And, like, I feel like Ansel Elgort had, like, the emotional range of a rock. Like, it just was unreal to me. I was like, this is the only part of this that we're supposed to care about. And I really just am much more interested in like, yeah, like the weasel face dude and his little jokes. And also, I don't know if I have anything intelligent to say about this, but the like boys will be boys and occasionally try to rape a lady scene at the end. Yeah, that was good. Good Like if there was ever an update where you just needed to like remove that, like don't spend an entire movie being like, don't we love these guys who are just struggling and there's brotherhood and whatever and like, ah, they tried to rape a girl. And that's not good. End of movie. What? Mm-hmm. What? Bummer. This musical doesn't make sense. Why is it here? Yeah. That's how I feel about West Side Story. We also saw the original West Side Story like semi-recently. So two West Side Story 
viewings in the past five years is just like way, 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 way too much West Side Story. And it's yeah, semi recently. It was like literally, it was multiple years ago for sure. Like yes, but while we were watching it, I was like, God fucking damn it! If I don't find myself here again. Well, I'm, I have bad news, Jen. I'm actually remaking West Side Story, <laughs> and I'm gonna make you watch it a lot out of Mario figurines that you're filming. Yes. My amiibos, my precious amiibos. It would probably be better. Yeah. Less Lensler. Absolutely. I, I will Photoshop in a little bit of Lensler, but not as much. Anyway, uh, next, another expectations game, King Richard. So King Richard, I knew it was supposed to be heartwarming. I knew, obviously, that it was based on the Williams sisters and their dad. Um, I kind of expected it to be just kind of a bland, generic Oscar biopic, and it was slightly better than that. I think, for unknown reasons not fully understanding the titles of these movies. Okay, I try. I often try to not know anything about the movies or know as little as possible going into this season. Um, I think I had combined the fact that there was a Shakespearean movie, I think acting awards, right? We didn't watch it. Tragedy of Macbeth. There we go. And the fact that it was King Richard. I think in my head, I maybe made it King Lear. I literally thought it was going to be a Shakespeare film. And then I found out, I think because we watched the SAG Awards or something, or we talked to, I don't know, some award show, and then like Will Smith accepted a thing and was like thanking the Venus sisters. And I was like, what on earth is this movie about? The Williams sisters. The Williams sisters. Yeah, the Venus sisters. Sorry. And I was like, oh, interesting. And so I, I, then my interest was piqued and I was excited going in and I felt like it was a delight. Yeah. I thought it was a very charming standard awardsy movie. Yes. Well done. Well acted. A fun story. This is part of what's fun of doing the Oscars is like you always get at least one or two of these types of movies where you like learn some stuff about some person in this like straightforward biopic that's like competently done. And I feel like it was even a little above that. Obviously, Will Smith is a very, very talented actor. It reminds me of your reaction to Ford versus Ferrari, where it was just like a standard movie, but kind of a fun watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Ford versus Ferrari was like a little funnier. This obviously had some like uncomfortable and downer moments and things to think about but yes yeah very similar where you're like i don't think that needs to win the academy award for best picture but i'm glad i saw it um it like made me want to google the williams sisters a lot yeah you did a lot of googling i did that of uh richard afterwards and you kind of got a little more down on him yeah kind of philandering i did wonder when, when you're watching it and you're like this person is still alive his daughter signed off on this movie and they're extremely famous there's no way they did not sanitize this a little bit. And they did. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about the directors, so I will say the director of this is Reynaldo Marcus Green, and he has not, as far as See? I can tell, done anything there we especially go. notable. So um, far, two movies that were good that did not come about just because the director formerly did something. Which What's the second one you're talking about? Dune. Denis Villeneuve has been nominated for Best Picture. I'm sure, but like, what are, what, what are his... Oh, we've already talked about Arrival. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Fine. Ever, this is the first non-famous director. Fine, fine, fine. Um, anywho. Uh, that I was, mean, and Jane, Camp, Jane, Jane Campion is also famous. Super famous. I, I, yeah. Okay. I take it all back. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was good. It was interesting. He moved his kids to Compton on purpose, not because they needed to financially, but because he felt like that would make them stronger, which is like, I feel like there was like, there was some storytelling that was like bordering on dishonest with this movie it turns out which is a little bit of a bummer but as a like within the if we're just focusing on the the film um yeah it's she good. drew four corners uh just for the listeners out there so it was kind of like she was thinking of the four corners of the contract in the law and i liked that with my with my finger yeah 
if you're just looking at the four corners of the King Richard contract. Yes. In isolation. Yes. I feel like it's a take, perfectly reasonable yeah, approach to interpretation. No extrinsic evidence for the interpretation exactly. of this movie. Because it's unfair. Like other movies that aren't biopics don't have that problem. I, I kind of hope he wins. I do think that uh, horse western movie man. Benedict Cumberbatch. I do think Benedict Cumberbatch is the superior actor and was fantastic. But uh, I was reading something and it was pointed out that Will Smith has not won an Academy Award. And he is certainly good enough to have won that. And this is like a pretty good movie for that to land. Like the Academy does this all the time where they give people Oscars for shit because they're like, oh, shoot, we haven't done it before now. My bad. I would much rather see him get it for this than for some other worse movie down the line. And he obviously like cares about this a lot. Yeah, and was like, like super into yeah. it. And I was also reading something about how many Academy voters like factor in like how they seemingly factor in like the award moment and like he's gonna give you a good award moment yeah he did at the last where he won yeah it's sag yeah sag benedict cumberbatch is gonna like thank some people in a cute british accent and then scoot off stage Mm -hmm. he probably won't even show up you think benedict cumberbatch is gonna go i think so because he has a good chance of winning yeah i don't actually know who's favored in any of these i think will smith is favored like betting odds favored i think it's actually uh, between him and denzel for macbeth oh which we haven't seen yeah point sore sore point in our house i'll get to that in the end i have a list of regrets <laughs> they're all jen didn't make time for our movies yes even though i've we've seen and a taking lot of care movies of my children that's, that's a other, list of regrets regret. <laughs> constant oh that's tricky um, now shoot now i wish we'd seen the denzel because that's he's another one but he's one yes <clears throat> but he's very very good yeah but did he win for that horrible play uh, yeah, I think so. That's really upsetting. Mm-hmm. Fences. I, I really didn't enjoy that experience. Fences was terrible. Don't, uh, don't make plays into movies or musicals. Drive my car. Which is worse, plays made into movies or musicals made into movies? Because I know you don't like the musicals, but I think the plays are worse. I just, I, mean, I already had this conversation earlier this podcast. I, plays are worse, yeah. Oh, did you already say that? Yeah, pretty much. I, not exactly, but almost. Yes. Where was I? <laughs> You're sitting three feet from me interesting yeah uh yeah i plays made into movies are i cannot think of one i've enjoyed and i've thought i can think of several that were excruciating to watch yeah we're gonna Uh, have to do we're gonna have to look up some lists later then there's an occasional musical that is okay anyway drive my car is the next one we watched the three-hour japanese movie based on a short story by haruki murakami i had a bad attitude going in it's super long it's three hours because it's three hours long which already feels indulgent of the director i'm like you better have a lot to say in three hours murakami and then i guess i had either looked at expand the... on murakami because to me that is an asset and not a well it's downside. a combination fa- it's like two factors it's murakami plus the fact that i think the synopsis that i had again i, I didn't seek it out but i what i knew about this movie was that it was based on like a man and a much younger woman driving places <laughs> so murakami I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a May-December manic pixie dream girl romance situation. And I, three hours of exploring why that happened sounded offensive to me, (laughs) Um, no matter how beautifully shot it was or well acted. And unfortunately, because of how long the movie is, you spend a lot of time not knowing if that's the direction it's going. So I feel like I... That this is the other one where after the fact I have been like more and more realizing that I did like it. Yeah. So I was hoping to like this one. I like Haruki Murakami. 
I like a fair number of Japanese films and I'd heard this one was good. And so I, I didn't know anything really about the plot itself. I had not read that short story. Um, and it was super slow. I had some problems with it. It is. Uh, so yeah, we were not, there's like 45 minutes or an hour of like preamble before the movie really starts. There's an extremely late credit roll. I, I kind of like that in retrospect. Yeah, it was bold. It was a bold I like movie. it, it was, yeah. It was, Definitely at least 45 minutes into the movie, they're like, and now we're beginning the movie. Here's yeah. the credits. Um, I don't hate that. And it wasn't done, uh, like, the point that he did that made sense, and it, like, was an actual dividing point in the plot. Like, sure, fine. Yeah. I mean, was it necessary? No. Yeah, like, other movies might just say, like, act two, but they're just like, no, the movie's starting now. And that was cool. Um, yeah, so the the main relationship is between the main character, who is, like, an actor, direct play director, and his driver, who is a young lady the age of his deceased daughter. And um, I think overall they did a good job. I think that the uh, dead wife character, they, they did some interesting things with that. The The driver herself was like supposed to be like essentially like an emotionless, uh, excellent driving machine who had a lot of trauma. And I they went a little far with like the background trauma dumping of what happened in her life to lead her to this point. Um, so half of the key relationship was a little bit of tough for me. I would go as far as to say where this is yet another movie written and directed by a man where the woman was a plot device who was not actually fleshed out and did not actually make any sense, but they treated it as if she was. And so her character was a problem. Whereas his character was very fully realized. Um, this was directed by a Japanese director, Yusuke Hamaguchi, and I don't know any of his other movies. I don't think any of them have been big in America, but Drive My Car came out in 2021, has a 91 on Metacritic with 41 reviews, and he has another movie, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, which also came out in in 2021 and has an 86 on Metacritic with 19 uh, reviews. So he has like a probably mostly Japan-only movie and Drive My Car coming out the same year with an 85-plus on Metacritic. So he's obviously on top of his game and uh yeah overall very good this was my this was third on my list um below dune and power of the dog my problem with this yeah those three are really like i don't know what to do in terms of like if i was ranking them and it's it's the same thing it's the same thing as the power of the dog i think the power of the dog had less missteps um but it's like a similar thing where i'm like oh it did so much that was good and maybe certain aspects of it really transcended dune but then Dune was much more evenly executed. Like, I feel like the... Expertly executed. Yeah, I, I feel argue. like the, like, the difficulty score with what it was... Like, the, the, the difficulty rating is higher for Power of the Dog and Drive My Car. But the execution score is lower. And so I don't know what to do with that. I don't know. I've, I feel like the difficulty, as was made clear... Uh, they talked about it in the Bill Simmons podcast. Like, sci-fi fans and Dune fans have extremely high hopes and expectations for a Dune adaptation. Yes. So I think there's a very high difficulty. Just like... I've said this for years now. I think that Blade Runner 2049 was a nearly impossible movie to execute because it was so it was such a late sequel to such a beloved movie and it was like perfectly done. I feel like those are like different types of execution scores. They're both a fan-based expectation problem though. No, cuz Dune like on some level you're only trying to deliver a sci-fi movie. Like you're not you're not going for any like deeper in investigation of the human condition or anything like that like it's just a narrative i 
am the sandworm god. Right. And this is applies to me directly. I'm sure in many ways the difficulty of Dune was much, you much harder in terms of like the, worm. the actual production of the film, I'm sure, was rhythm. like an unrelenting nightmare or like the amount of plot the they were trying to work their way around. But like in terms of the story, I think the executions is is easier for a Dune. Um, whereas Power of the Dog and particularly Drive My Car, since it was so meandering. But Drive My Car, the list of criticisms are many. The trauma dumping was insane. The weird, and this is Murakami's fault, the weird sex story dictation plot device, which feels extremely short story. And I don't think added, except for, it, I mean, it paid off a little with this one moment with the boyfriend later on, but like it was actually kind of uncomfortable and weird and didn't really make sense. I mean, it was obviously like a fantastical element like that is not at all trying to be real like yeah. obviously that's not but then that's life. not the rest of the movie so that like that kind of felt out of place and the stupid fixation on the skill of this girl's driving was like beyond bizarre if not minor and, the- and you know what the most skillful portrayal of driving among the best picture nominees was actually in licorice pizza Right, that truck. <laughs> yeah, and there would be moments. I, the one that really stands out to me is when they were like holding their hands out of the car. There were just moments where like it was a beautiful shot, but like he held it for so long that I was like, no, we saw, buddy. Yeah. Like you. That's the movie poster. It's the hands. Yeah, like cigarettes out of the top. And of the I car. feel like that was a lot of things. Yeah. But then at the same time, like I find myself thinking about the movie and the characters because it, a lot of it, like the texture and the people were like very real in some ways, and it was so interesting. I should say one of the movie posters. Yeah. The like, especially I mean, like the actor stuff, and he 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 diverged from the short story quite a bit. It turned out when we investigated, which was interesting to me. Anyway, I'm I'm excited to see what he does next. I liked it. I can't imagine committing three hours to rewatching it. The actor was fantastic. Uh, He won one of those awards. I don't know if he's he must not be even remotely in contention for the Academy Award, but he won. Didn't he win Best Actor at like the SAGs or something? The SAG was Will Smith. Okay, then maybe I don't remember. Did she win? I don't think so. I don't remember. I'm sorry. Did the director win? No, it was Dream Campion. God damn it. What am I thinking about? And the SAG doesn't do director, obviously. No. I don't know the one I'm thinking about then. Anyway. I just uh, thought there were some Drive My Car wins that were surprising. Yeah, I mean, it, it could it could be a dark horse. Uh, apparently, Best Picture is really a two-movie two race between Power of the Dog and Coda is what everyone is Drive saying. My Car is much better than Coda. I agree. I feel like it should maybe be a best picture race between Drive My Car and... Coda and Dune. I mean, sorry, uh, Drive My Car and Power of the Dog and Dune. Should be the three, I I think. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, uh, next we saw Belfast. Uh, Again, a problem... Like, this one was another one where my expectations helped my enjoyment because I had zero expectations for this movie. All I knew was, was that it took place in Belfast and... It was black and white. And yeah, old timey, black and white. And I thought it would be, and I knew it was like vaguely, maybe troublesy. And it was totally troubles, but it was like surprisingly like sweet and funny uh, and not just like dour the whole time. I expected it to be another depressing Oscar movie, but it was a surprisingly kind of fun Oscar movie. Yeah, I think it was like, in some ways it will be utterly forgettable. Like I can't imagine being telling anybody like, oh, you really need to watch Belfast. But it was like, it was both like perfectly enjoyable to watch and like, I don't, and I think really competently made. Like I, like I don't really have any like super strong criticisms other than that there just wasn't like a ton of there there. Like I don't, I don't really know that it was like taking on much. 
Um, which kind of makes sense when you read about, like, he was just like, I was a boy during this time, and I'm recalling that. And he was like, yep, you did. You were called being a boy during that time. Speaking of very famous directors. This Why is- was it in black and white? Part mostly in black and white. The, that part is, yeah. that is an unforgivable choice. Yes. Do not selectively color your films. Unless you're that one movie about the people falling in love. That was in black and white. Pleasantville? Yeah, there you go. That worked one time and it's been done now. Um, Kenneth Branagh uh, is the director. He's very famous as well. And this was quasi-autobiographical. He has directed a lot of like Shakespeare adaptations in classical literature and to movies. Most importantly, he played the bad guy in Tenet. Oh, which interesting! Is amazing. Yeah, this 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 also feels like a movie that we'd usually see in a normal Oscar year. Like this feels like a Bridge of Spies or a couple of those other movies where you're just like, huh, a random historical moment in a kind of quiet movie that I'm going to forget about very shortly. Yeah, it's to me the equivalent of the Indian Train movie, Lion. Yeah. Oh, I thought Lion was more interesting, but. Maybe even more forgettable, as yep. I can't even tell you what that movie's about. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. But like, just I, I think what mind. I'm thinking of is like a little slower, a little drier. Um, I guess, although, like you said, this did have like it was obviously going for like <laughs> Irish troubles meets Irish humor. No, meets the Christmas story. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like there was like elements of that with the recalling of the boyhood. So maybe Lion's a better comparison because that also had like some joy and humor because Dev Patel, mm-hmm. we love him. But there's done. just not much to say about it. Yeah, it was. It was. I thought that the dad and the mom were both great. Yep. Yep. I loved the dad and mom and the grandfather. The grandfather oh, was also I good. The, and, the, the, and Dame Judy Dench, she did her job. I thought the little boy was fine. I didn't actually. I yeah, precocious kids are a little bit much. And then the like twenty year old cousin who was playing like twelve. Oh, and just the worst influence. Oh my god. <laughs> anyway, uh, two movies left: Licorice Pizza and then Coda. I don't think I have licorice pizza in me can we skip that and just do coda and call it a day nope <laughs> there is not enough time on this podcast for me to talk about licorice pizza okay so we'll talk about it now and then we'll record a separate separate licorice pizza podcast why don't you go first i another one that was all about expectations uh i this one i knew that there was an extremely wide range of how much i would like it based on my previous experience with paul thomas anderson mo- movies um i really loved phantom thread which influenced my love of Power of the Dog. I think There Will Be Blood is one of the most overrated movies in cinematic history. Um, I remember liking it, but I don't remember anything about it. I remember liking it, but not quite getting the fuss. Anyway, I knew that a lot of my friends from law school, hello to Johnny, the only one listening probably, loved this movie. And I was like, I'm afraid I won't like it, but maybe I will. So you can't tell me Johnny loved it and then expect me to talk about this. I did not like this movie. Um, I the premise off the bat when they I I knew that it was about um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid and the Ham Girl and a romance and the seventies. I thought that uh, I didn't realize until the very beginning of the movie. Like, oh, it's a sixteen-year-old and a twenty-five-year-old. That was an interesting choice. Uh, I, I, especially you as well, couldn't get over that. Like it, that was like an insurmountable hurdle from the start of the movie that the entire movie is a relationship, an inappropriate aged relationship between, uh, the ham girl and Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. The character for 
Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, I guess his name's Gary, uh, was, he was, you know, somewhat charming sometimes. Like, it was just a precociously entrepreneurial high school kid. Uh, it gave me extreme Rushmore vibes, but I love Rushmore, and I think that it's well executed, and I did not like this. This was like a bad, creepy Rushmore, and I'm sorry to everyone who loves it. Yeah, um, this this Oscar season had two things that already made me feel like I was crazy. Jesse Plemons and Jennifer Lawrence as good actors. Every single time I encounter that, I'm confused by it because I don't think that those things are true. But now licorice pizza, which is like that times a hundred. Like it's not just that I didn't like it or that I think it was bad and maybe offensive. It's like I can't even comprehend what other people are seeing in it like genu- genuinely like I feel like I am missing something I need someone to hold my hand and walk me through it and I have not read about it yet so maybe I can maybe I'll find that on the internet um I should have been more prepared for this podcast but like I it is mystifying to me I see that it was beautifully shot and the recreation of an old time in LA is was done well and is also just apparently absolute catnip for fucking everybody. See that other one that was only fucking okay, Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that people were just like peeing themselves over how good it was. (laughs) (laughs) And that movie was like a mess. It was a mess. But it was like, oh, it was a pretty mess with Brad Pitt being so cool. I I mean, it was just, it was like more entertaining just on a watching purpose and then the alternate reality history part of it yeah but there was like that extended like it yeah that that movie was better and it had more going for it and this felt like a more abstract version of that and it felt like it was like I think Gary maybe said that it reminded him of Adventureland and I was like yes Adventureland like it felt like it it thought it was being cute I think that's part of what was so upsetting yeah I think that's what people like people the people who like it like describe it as like a joyous which nostalgic is like, romp essentially which is so bizarre because it's so creepy and and like if it's a joyous like the it barely had a plot beyond the main romance which was creepy and upsetting and i wonder if there's a gender divide on it that i can't quite place like i i did see a tweet where somebody said like this movie is for people who wanted to fuck their babysitters and i'm like maybe that's it like it's a male female thing but like the idea that there exists or could exist in a fictional universe or otherwise, a 25-year-old woman who would be interested in speaking to, for any length of time, a 15-year-old boy, however smart, precocious, entrepreneurial, or what fucking ever, is like, it It strains, like a strange credulity to the point where it's like, again, it was like unwatchable to me. And then on top of it, they don't even... kind of a similar thing like they sort of hand wave at making her a character by showing that like she's a little aimless she's a little lost that's why she's here but like whereas his character is very drawn out her character doesn't make any fucking sense (laughs) like i a lost 25 year old is not kissing 15 year old boys i understand that a 25 year old man would do that but that's not the case for a 25 year old woman and i uh i feel like it's frustrating sometimes when people bring too much like but reality to movies, but I feel like this is like beyond that a little bit. And it was like, yeah, it was weird and gross and upsetting and I hated it. And I, in it felt gross in a way that was like, 
I felt like, and I don't know much enough about this director, but it was like, are you like, is this like a, he's fondly recalling how charming and smart he was? Like, I, I don't know. It's just yuck, 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 yuck. And then apart from the yuck, the actual joyous romp romance of it all, like wasn't even done well. Like it, it was meandering to the point of nonsense in the movie. The Brad or the Bradley Cooper scene and the truck was a delight. Thank you for that. <laughs> it had nothing to do with the rest of the movie. It had nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Why was it fucking? Bad? And his little sledgehammer destroy the car thing was not part of the main movie. It was during the end credits, which was disappointing to me because that was in the trailer and I wanted to see him go crazy with the car and sledgehammers. Like if the entire movie had been him and all of his like exploits and it occasionally involved girls at his school or whatever women were in it, but it did not try to like graft on this insane plot with this 25 year old woman. If it was Rushmore, you mean? Yes, it, right. Like, then I think it could have been better and it could have been a joyous romp and it could have just been like a nostalgic LA thing. But like, that, and also like she has these sisters and they're just like, oh yeah, like nudge, they're older than her. Like nudge, nudge, like Gary, go find her at the political place that she is. Like, what? These are, these are 28, 30 year old women like that are telling him like, yeah, go kiss my sister. What is happening? And that was the only good part of the movie. Not That's not true. I've already said a couple of things that were good about the movie. I did enjoy that the entire Heim family was in it. That was nice. Even the Heim girl I thought was a little overrated. Like she was fine, but people talk about her as if she was amazing. What's his name? The kid? Gary? Mm-hmm. Whose real name is? the so- Cooper Hoffman, I think? Hoffman, yeah. He was amazing. Like I thought his acting performance was extremely good. Cooper, yes. Yes, Cooper. I thought he was extremely, extremely good. Yeah, he was super good. Very charming. Yes, and I thought, but she's getting all the hype for this movie. And I thought she was like, I mean, she did better than you'd expect, considering we're supposed to believe that she's attracted to this 15-year-old, this kind of gross 15-year-old. But. I'm like, looking at his picture right now from IMDb. I feel like he has to make Ferris Bueller's day off. He does look a lot like a ginger Ferris Bueller. Yeah. And he'd be so good in that. He'd be so charming. Anyway. What do people like? Can you tell me? I know. I I told you, like, yeah, I think it's like uh, the relationship, the innocent 70s uh, Hollywood. I think they, like, I think, yeah, people, like, I I suspect that there's a certain type of person that loves the idea of this, like, super smart, charming 15-year-old being so smart and charming that he can, like, pull off this, like, conquest of this way older. Like, if they had made that movie and she had been 18... I might have been able to get there like that. And that also at that for a girl and a 15 year old boy, 15 to 18 is an extremely large maturity gap. She would be like college age. That would already like, I feel like that would be enough to to capture whatever he was trying to. Is it that he's old enough that he doesn't realize? Does he not talk to women? Does he not know any? The director? Yeah. Do you think that's the problem? <laughs> I, I doubt it. He's he directs Heim videos all the time. He's he's deep in the Heim world. I'm sure he's surrounded by ladies in the professional world. Nobody told him this is fucked up? I don't know, man. It's gross. And illegal. Mm-hmm. Which was just glancingly mentioned. Yeah. I'd like to go back to my complaints about licorice pizza, of which there are many. Don't worry. Uh, to the listener, there's no gap at all. You're just continuing your complaints. <laughs> anyway, about licorice pizza. <laughs> Did you like it? No. Um, it was also extremely disjointed. Like the scenes just kept happening. It was like vignettes. Yes. And again, if that's all it was, I might like it better. 
But the thing, the only thing, that tied this movie together was this insane, creepy, statutory rape romance that doesn't make sense and is weird and gross. I would like to just point out when I say that I like Rushmore a lot more and it's one of my favorite movies of all time that I acknowledge that there is also an inappropriate relationship at the heart of that movie, but it is acknowledged as inappropriate and it does not come to fruition. And and the teacher appropriately rejects him and says that that can't possibly happen. And then he just, and then he starts getting a crush on his classmate, which is the appropriate thing to have. happen. Yes. There was no, there's no classmate that he, that he could redirect his uh, love towards in this movie. I, I feel like I'm just going to keep saying the same things I already said, but it's just a, I keep wondering why, like, the baffling decision of making her 25, like, there was no reason she had to be 25 because it could have been the same movie with any smaller age gap. So, like, why? why I mean, not? He's, he's directed, like, 10 Heim videos. Maybe he just really wanted her in the movie. That actually, you know what? I'm glad we had this discussion because that, like, filled in a gap in my brain where I was like, why, 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 why make her 25 years old? But, yeah, if you wanted Heim in it and you thought she'd be perfect for your fucking vibe because that's what this movie was about, having a vibe of L.A. and they're very L.A., but yeah. then why couldn't they have had like an older, why couldn't he be like a 19 year old or a something? Or why couldn't they yeah. like hang out too much and he has a crush on her, but like it never happens. Yeah. She like, like cool and calmly rejects him in a withering way. That's funny. I don't remember this movie well enough, but yeah, like why couldn't it be like an almost famous situation or did she actually get into romance with him? Man, I don't remember either. Penny but, Lane. Yeah, I know. They, they make, I think they definitely make out at some point. Anyway. But even that was, like, coming from this place of, like, well, I may have to not talk about this. And that, yeah. might, that one might be weird and gross, too, and I just haven't seen it in such a long time. Yeah, I'm just upset about it. And I'm confused what people like about it. I genuinely can't understand. Like, there are some movies where you could be like, hey, it did all these great things. And, yes, this one part isn't amazing, but that's okay. But this movie, the the transgression is so unsurmountable to me. And it's the central plot. I don't know how you get past it. And then even if you do, the rest of the movie is like kind of incoherent. It's just some scenes of LA with some very famous cameos shot pretty because he's good at it. I really, really like Phantom Thread. Like I really, really like Phantom Thread. And I hated this movie so much that I'm now going to need to like rewatch. Because when we originally watched Phantom Thread, I remember through the entire first viewing, I was like, this is some fucked up gender shit. But then there's that huge twist at the end. And I was like, oh, how fun. And that sort of fixes it. And now I'm going to have to rewatch it and potentially revise my opinion. Because I think Paul Thomas Anderson might be a fucking creep. This segment is going to be unpopular with everyone from my law school chat who listens to it, which is probably only Johnny. Don't give them the link. Well, I'm giving it to Johnny. Johnny's Johnny's subscribed to the feed, I'm sure. Johnny. But the, the chances of Bill listening to this are essentially zero. I do. I do really want to know what other people like about it. So maybe Johnny can explain it to me. Next time I'm playing video games with Johnny, you can just have a, I'll hand the headset over. There's a universe. It's conceivable to me where somebody's just not bothered by that. And they just like, are like, fine, whatever. That's stupid. But they just like love the character, the dude and love the scenes and the LA and the vibe and love that Haim is good, which she is good. Even though I don't think she was great. Um, I shouldn't call her Haim because that's not even her name. <laughs> that's her last name. But I can see where if you find that forgivable, I, Unfortunately, my slight problem with that is that that feels like a like I feel like only I feel like only that's an extremely male viewing of the movie is my problem, I suppose. Why don't you just have a male viewing of the movie, Jen? I actually would like to book more <laughs> nearly at the end, but I feel like I need to bookmark like 
gender rage because like as we're talking about all these movies all these movies yet again are about men even the ones that are about women are about men and i think that's only one right that's only a king richard coda is thoroughly about a woman there we go okay found one it's problem free luckily let's talk about coda (laughs) it's not problem free is jen's joke i think yeah coda oh coda Going in, I knew nothing other than the general plot. I thought it looked fun, but I heard it was bad. And so I was expecting to dislike it. But then a couple days ago, you said that it was like front runner and that a lot of people loved it. So then I was really excited to watch it. And it does the thing where you're watching it where you're like, you know, we're trained this way as a viewer. Like this is presented to us as like a pretty classic feel good exploration of a topic but in a funny way movie so like you kind of are like going with that while you're watching and you're like oh this is fun this is nice but there are just so many moments where you're like wait a second ugh, wait ugh. and then then there's the like eye rolling parts because it's pretty uh over the top at times and cliche and the sum of all of that in the end is i don't think it's actually a very good movie but i'm really excited that they cast deaf actors and the deaf actors were really the performances by the deaf actors were very 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 good and the performance by the hearing actress was perfectly competent yeah i this is the last best picture obviously and it is the last one where there was a big problem of expectation setting for me because i initially thought it was going to be a boring oscar movie i thought it might be just based on the premise i thought it would be maybe a little more depressing than it was um, I thought it'd be more about the struggle and less about the overcoming of the struggle. Um, but then right before we watched it, I started hearing all the hype about how it was like now essentially a dead heat between Power of the Dog and Coda for Best Picture overall. And Bill Simmons was pushing for it so hard and said it was amazing and that, and that the star should have been nominated. That should have been a warning to you. That she should have been nominated? No, Bill's opinion. I know. I don't listen to Bill Simmons anymore, but I saw that there was like a a recap of the Oscars and like a betting odds discussion with Sean Fennessy. And so I was like, Oh, I will dip my toe back into Bill Simmons for one time for the first time in probably like two years, three years. Uh, and yes, it was not as good as I hoped. I thought it was, I really couldn't get over the main character just being so angsty teeny all the time. I like the drama with her and the boyfriend. I didn't think he did a good job and their relationship was not great. Um, there are a couple of touching scenes overall, uh, but I, I, it was, yeah, it was just more angsty, overwrought, and not as effective as I was hoping. I, I really, I had no expectations, and then I had high expectations, and then I didn't like it very much at all. Yeah, it, it feels like it probably shouldn't have even been nominated. It definitely shouldn't win. It was still fun to watch, and still, like, lighthearted and enjoyable in a surfacey way again i think that if you go below that it's actually not that but ugh, where to start um abby pointed out correctly that this is basically just a teen girl movie with the interesting background of the issue of deafness which is completely true like we have the like quirky teacher figure guiding her towards her dreams of singing we have the romance we have she's picked on we have my parents don't understand me like we have all of that 
And it's a little drawn out about it too. And the writing on it was bad. I think that whole boyfriend plot just should not have even been there. Like, just take it out. It didn't end. Just take it out. It didn't. We had two scenes of them jumping off cliffs. The same Into the water. The same same cliff. How dare you when we could have the mom and dad making funny sex jokes. More of that. So. The parents were great. The parents were great. And then I think I also, I don't know. This is a tricky one to talk about, right? Because like. I'm not a member of the deaf community and I think the representation issue is very real and it's very exciting that these actors were in it. But I think coming in, because it's gotten so much attention for that, I thought that the deaf family was the highlighted part of the movie. And so as you're watching it and it becomes clear that like, no, the hearing daughter is the focal point of the movie and her struggles... That already made me feel a little weird as far as, like, well, what? Okay. And then within that, the choices that were made about how that was all portrayed was, like, a real bummer. Like, we talked about this a little already. But if you didn't have the strong, this is a feel-good movie and we're supposed to like all these people vibe with the fun jokes and the, like, oh, you have a perfect family. Like, they're telling us throughout this entire movie. That- I, I was blown away when the boyfriend said, like, I don't have a perfect life like you do. Because, like, obviously – the viewer of the movie has more insight into what she feels because she's the main character of a movie we're watching. But like just what he would have observed at school, she's like passing out tired because she's working on a fishing boat and she's made fun of mercilessly by everyone for having a deaf family. And it's like, it was an absurd thing to say, even in the fiction of the movie. Yes. But again, like they're telling us, oh, we roll deep. Like they're telling us repeatedly that this is a very close knit family that loves each other. And they're so great. So you kind of like, if you're just watching it and letting it wash over you, you don't have to really think about some of what's going on. But, like, for them to have her getting up at 3 a.m. to fish on a boat with them, never use any professional translation services or any other means of communicating with the outside world ever, and mock her for singing because they're deaf and not appear to have any interest in her interests and, like, everything else they did, like, they would be the worst parents in the world. And then on the other side of things, like for her, like she's supposed to be translating, but she just stops. She like abandons them when they have a person coming on the boat. Like she's an asshole. Like like all of these people throughout the movie are making constantly like really, really mean and awful decisions. And like, I think we're, again, there's hand waving at the fact that like, it's tough. They're poor, like death, like, you know, it's complicated, but the movie wasn't exploring any of that nuance. They like everything they all of this stuff was just like plot devices for drama at the service of like the teen story. And so that was kind of yucky. I thought I would have much rather watched a movie that was about this family in like a real feeling way instead of like this girl's dreams of getting into a singing school. And apparently she super loves singing, but nobody's heard anything, but nobody's heard anything about it. Until she's fucking 18. They've never discussed whether she'll go to college. They, she, they, her parents don't know that she likes to sing. But she's so amazing at singing that her teacher immediately is like, ah, oh, yes, I have to get you into the Berklee School of Music because you're so good at singing. What? I agree with your critiques. I think, it, the, yeah, it, it was a problem as a teen overcoming uh, difficulty to get into college movie and a problem as a realistic portrayal of a deaf family overcoming challenges movie. And... 
there were some charming parts and there were some slightly moving parts. Uh, by the way, Jen was bawling like a baby at one part of this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so she says that it wasn't effective, you know, and, and it was emotionally effective occasionally. Um, but uh, yeah, so I I think it was fine. I think I might have liked it slightly more than you, but I didn't like it very much and I was disappointed. Um, I think I enjoyed the viewing experience a lot apart from like some moments of discomfort. And there were some things that happened that we talked about afterwards and that led me to do a little more reading, like in full disclosure. And those included like, why have these, do these parents have no means of communication with anyone outside of their daughter? Like my experience with deaf people is not enormous, but it is enough that I'm like, I'm fairly confident that like, the only scene they show them communicating with anybody that's hearing is when the son's love interest texts him. Like grabs his phone. Grabs it because it's her idea. He has no means of figuring out how to communicate with anyone ever. And I feel like they explain it away because they're poor. That's supposed to be the whole thing. But again, like this is not my original thought. But like as I was reading about it later, like the Americans with Disabilities Act does not exist in this movie, like in a courtroom, in a doctor's office, places where they are legally required to provide a translator. They don't have one there. And yeah, so like the the, the lack of communication with the outside world outside of her was was glaring and weird. It was uncomfortable to me that like the hearing person was in the savior role through this entire movie. Not only is she like helping them, but like only through her bravely pursuing her dreams does she liberate her family to become part of the community and learn to thrive I, it just that part was weird and uncomfortable i'm trying to remember the others there was like quite a few things where it was just like oh that's bizarre why would that happen and then i was reading about it afterwards and like there are certainly members of the deaf community that are like very happy about the representation but also have like a number of critiques and one that i did not clock at all was this like deaf people can't enjoy music thing that is set up and apparently very well explored in other Hollywood movies, including like Sound of Fury. Wait, Sound of Metal. I love Sound of Metal. Yeah. I haven't read the deaf community's critique of it. Hopefully it is, holds up better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know cochlear implants are like a yeah, that, that, source of controversy, it, it, but it is treated as a controversy. Well, that's the that's I the know. problem is like the extent to which it's treated as this like giant dividing line within the community. Um, but with this movie, like, yes, this idea that like deaf people can't appreciate music or that like her heroically signing her performance at the end as some like act of love. It was pointed out that like it's incredibly difficult to sign while you're singing it, it and there's like interpretation involved so it's not something she'd likely be able to just do on the fly like that and also that like this idea that like oh thank god she provided them access to music by signing is like pretty insulting um the dad throat scene which like i definitely cried at not so much because of the throat part but just because of the like touching moment between him and his daughter and like he's a really good actor and like the love thing coming through is really clear um that's a little weird <laughs> uh I'm trying to remember some of the others. Yeah, it just like, and then you think about it and it's like it was adapted by a hearing, adapted and directed by a hearing woman. Like, and and so was Sound of Metal. Like it was written and directed by a hearing man. Like do these Hollywood studios, they, they can't pay consultants to come in and take a look at their movie to like do better? That we don't, we don't have deaf people who write scripts or what's the... I don't know. So, yeah, there was like a little bit of yucky feeling there, I think, with it, especially when it's supposed to be celebrating those things. Oh, speaking of yucky feeling, we completely failed to mention the extreme racism in licorice pizza. Oh, God. Yes. Which apparently the Internet is like really defensive about. Half, I mean, a portion of the Internet. Some people really called it out 
and I, and some people really defended it and I didn't look up what the actual scene was before watching the movie. And then I watched the movie. It's like, Oh my God, that was so much worse than I expected. Like, how does this like acceptable? And not only did it need to be there, but he went to like that entire thing existed as far as I can tell only for those jokes for one throwaway joke. Yeah. So like he made that whole character. We had two or three scenes on it just for the racist joke, which I understand is like, it feels like in this, I'm sure to some people it feels like it's technically permissible because like, oh, but it was the time. Yeah, the a- attitude of the 70s permitted extreme racist right. behavior. And isn't like, it like, and we're, and we're reviewing we're this from a position of moral superiority. at it because weren't, isn't it funny that they were so racist? Like that's the part that I feel like, how do you, again, I'm not versed in this controversy. I haven't read about it. Probably smarter than people than me have good there's opinions. A recent, there's a new LA Times article about I'm it. I'm excited to read it. But like my take on it is like, but you still made it a joke. Like you still wanted people to laugh at it. And even if we're laughing in a kind of knowing way, like, oh, that's not appropriate. Like, is that that much better? I don't think it really is. I, I was not happy with it. I, I really thought I would think it was like, oh, in context, it's not that bad, whatever is in this. And then I was like, oh, no, this is awful. Because it's just a joke. If it had been like racist content that was contextualized by the movie, there could be this debate of like, are they handling it responsibly? You know, is it if it's true to the time, then maybe discussion of that is warranted. But like, there was no discussion of that. It's a joke that plays for laughs at the expense of a Japanese woman. Two different Japanese women. Two different Japanese women. Well, why was it there? Like, and also, what, what did it add? Why, why were we even bothering with that? Yeah. Anyway. Coda. Right, Coda. Uh, so Coda, we've talked about every other director. Coda was directed by apparently an American woman who has a very Irish name. Maybe she's Irish-American. Uh, Sean Hader, S-I-A-N-H-E-D-E-R. Uh, and this is her first movie, but she did direct two episodes of that wrestling show, Glow. Which oh. you like. Yeah, I did so, enjoy that. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and, and honestly, this all makes so much sense to me, right? Because it's like, it's being celebrated as this deaf movie. But what she obviously wrote was a teen coming of age story. And she just grafted this deaf family right on there. And I, unless I'm missing something about her bio, which I very well could be, I don't gather that she has a lot of experience. <laughs> it's, an, it's adapted from a French show, apparently. Um, but it just, again, the deafness was like an obstacle for her coming of age. And exaggerated in that, which is, I think, really uncomfortable. And I think there's this, like, very natural pull to be like, but it was fun and nice. And I just don't know. Yeah. That is all of the Best Picture nominees. Even though I liked watching it. For the viewer's entertainment and Oh, debate. and apparently she was really bad at signing. Oh, the actress, yeah. Yeah, which, like, I wouldn't Ruby. know. Ruby. But Yes. Um, why would she talk like a deaf kid if her parents don't, I don't, I don't know what the word is. There's like a specific word for whether deaf people choose voice. There you go. Like if her parents don't voice, which they obviously do not, why would she speak like a deaf kid and be made fun of for that? There are some logical inconsistencies. And they make a big deal out of that. That's, that's mentioned multiple times. Yeah. Apparently the actor, I read the same article you did, but apparently the dad actor learned to voice just the word go for this movie for the yeah. uh, emotional climax. And that was another. And why would he do that? Yeah. And there was like this bipolar presentation of the parents as like on one hand, like 
who cares? Like, fuck you. You're taking my fish money. I'm going to start my own thing. Like, screw them all. But then, like, I feel like then there are, like, other places they're, like, playing it as if, like, but they don't know how to be in an auditorium and they're so uncomfortable because other people can hear and they can't or something. Like, I feel like they made it, they, like, couldn't decide and they're very whether they ins- were, like, boisterous and proud and doing their own thing and carving their own path or whether they were, like, meek and incapable of, like, dealing with the outside world and because of their disability. And they're extremely insular, but no other deaf friends are shown in the whole movie, even though they allegedly supposedly them had them. A, yeah. Only once a month, though, which obviously still isn't that much. Anyway, yes. Uh, so... For, my, for the listeners' enjoyment and debate, and mostly to make Johnny mad, here is my ranking of the Best Picture nominees. Uh, I separated them into tiers, in but they're still in ranked order. So number one, tier one, Dune, and then Power of the Dog. And that's the end of the top tier. Tier two, I have Drive My Car, and then King Richard, which was a surprise to me to have King Richard that high. That's the end of that tier. Tier three... I have Belfast, then Coda, then West Side Story, and then Tier 4, with apologies, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, and then Don't Look Up is the bottom of the barrel. So Licorice Pizza was the best of the bad movies in my mind. Sorry, Johnny. Yeah. I think beyond... There's a point at which I don't think it even makes sense to rank them. They're just a pile of garbage. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I think to even rank them problematically implies value. Have, have you, uh, you, you were very interested in, and good at fantasy football. You know that you need to know the 37th best wide receiver and the 12th best kicker. You have to, be, you have to rank the bottom, Jen, just, just because it's not the top of the pick of the litter. I don't know how you say who is better you between think- Licorice Pizza and Don't Look Up, which actually makes me wonder if Nightmare Alley is better than both of those movies. I guess it depends if you're giving like technical points to Licorice Pizza in a visual way. Yeah, unfortunately, I think I think I think the Belfast Coda Tick Tick Boom West Side Story bracket is correct. I didn't include the parentheses movies. I Jen, see. you've ruined a discussion. Okay. <laughs> um, drive my car, King Richard. I'm a little surprised you don't have Drive My Car up there with Dune and Power the Dog. The, t- the bottom of the number one tier. Yeah. I might maybe I can move it up over time. I- I've I've been waffling. <laughs> yeah, I-, I can feel that from you. Can we talk about my point, which is all of these movies are stories about men except for Coda, which was really bad. You can talk about that. Dune. Supermen. That's all men. There's like... It is practically Superman. I feel like they... What, what it feels like, if you look at all of these movies, what this feels like is the very obvious attempt by Hollywood to like... Diversify. Include more women, but like not to the point where any of these movies would actually like feature women in the leading role why would we do that no (laughs) these movies still have to be about the journey of men and to your point the nominees for actress in a leading role are jessica chastain for eyes of tammy faye olivia coleman for the lost daughter penelope cruz for parallel mothers nicole kidman for being the ricardos and Kristen stewart for spencer which none of them were nominated for Best Picture. I've seen all of those except for Parallel Mothers, and I certainly wouldn't want any of those to be nominated for Best Picture of the ones that I've seen. Um, but but so, couldn't any of them take the space of Don't Look Up? Who no. I disagree with that. Uh, the only one you have lower than Don't Look Up on your list is Being the Ricardos. Yes, Being the Ricardos could not take the space of Don't Look Up. Also, I just think, um, so it's it's a twofold problem, right? It's the, the, the problem that 
the movies that center women are not getting made and the quality of movies that women are allowed to lead are lower. Like it is, it is like a two, two sided blade of screwing over actresses. Uh, these are worse movies yes. on average and none of them, none of the leading ones center women. I, ooh, that's tricky. Like thinking about it that way. I wonder how many of these best – I'm going to have to – this is not a for now problem, but I'm going to have to, like, go through this and see what I would cross off to put some of those movies. Because even though I didn't I didn't love Lost Daughter, I think it's still a better movie than some of these. Like, Yeah, it's better than Don't Look Up. Don't Look Up was controversial at the time, and having watched them all, I, I see why. Well, and, like – and, and, and some of them like, are just, like, really tricky where it's, like, I think it's also a better movie than Coda. It's just that Coda, Coda's, like – a f- more fun movie and there's like some really good performances and like but in terms of like whatever art yeah i've lost Dodge better than that for sure and it still had a very strong performance in it anyway i'm gonna have to think about it but of the academy award nominated pictures dune about the journey of men nightmare alley super about the journey of this one con man oh but he has a romantic partner and we talked about her a little bit aren't we so great don't look up uh i don't i think that's a wash she's she's one of the main characters it's like an ensemble cast situation it does not feel particularly like male lindsay although there's a lot of time spent on illinois or on um illinois leonardo dicaprio as a heartthrob which again is weird power of the dog same problem as nightmare alley like female characters ostensibly featured but like not really in a way that makes any sense west side story that's tricky because it's just an adaptation, but I would say in West Side Story, the original and this one, like his it's about the clash journey. of the men. It's about the clash of the men and his journey featured disproportionately. Yeah. And she just is like, sure, you murdered my brother. It's fine. I love you anyway. But again, like, well, if we're going back to Shakespeare, I don't know. I, I feel like we can't even really discuss that one. King Richard, obviously they do a good job celebrating how amazing the sisters are, but like, it's about him though. So... Um, and what a genius he is, even though he's maybe just insane. Uh, drive my car, same problem as the other ones. Like, it's got a woman in it. We pretend that we care about her. She doesn't really make sense. We're not worried about that. Belfast, I think, genuinely is about the fam. I mean, it's a, the boy is the main character. So that's a little more male-leaning. But, like, the parents feel relatively equally out. featured and yeah the mom feels real to me the, you know who got shafted in that movie was the older brother who was like non-existent right it's, it's the mom the dad the younger brother that's the core of the movie the grandparents feature somewhat and the younger the older brother is just like a non-entity why is as he there? an older sibling i'm offended yeah okay so belfast ensemble yeah and does a fine job with its female characters um I suppose the weight of the dad's predicament and told through the lens of the grandfather rather than the grandma. Like, it's, like, maybe slightly male-leaning, but it's just not enough that I'm going to quibble with it. I mean, I think the the fact that it's focused on the young son, like, is enough I, to push I was, it. I was including that, too. So, like, yeah, the young son, the dad's I think, I think, slightly I, over. Yeah, I think I think that it's clearly a little bit weighed in favor of men. Yeah. yeah. Um, or boys, as the case may be. Licorice pizza. Holy fucking shit. And then Coda, like, undeniably female-centered so we've got one female-centered movie two pretty true neutrals and seven very one almost neutral with west side story and then the rest which are like deeply male-focused and all to your point of the best actress all of those are like 
not just like those performances were good. Uh, the Ricardos maybe a little less so, but what is it? Spencer, Tammy Faye, Lost Daughter. Parallel Mothers. Those are like deeply female stories and not a one. Not, and I and I think this is a every year problem that particular. I, I, like I, I feel like we've noticed it before, but I've never connected the dots of like, we have to watch a lot of movies to pick up all the best actress nominations, but many of the best actor nominations are baked into the best performance yep. or to the best picture. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Yes. And if we have to celebrate Heim in Licorice Pizza as like the feminist revolution of the year, where are we as a society? Last comments. Tick, tick, boom was not a snub. That movie's not very good. Andrew Garfield's a delight. He wasn't. He was. The movie's just kind of weird and not I good. I did not like it. Again, it's a musical. Um, yeah. Very very uneven. There were moments that I was like, oh, that was fun and good, and this guy's interesting. I wish I didn't have to see it in the lens of this bad musical he made instead of the better musical he made, which was still a musical and therefore pretty flawed. I think uh, Johnny on his podcast, either he or Matt Schmidt talked about the cow jumping over the moon song. And I, I have listened to the Rent soundtrack a couple times. And every time I got to that song, I was like, what are we doing here? <laughs> what is happening with this song? I watched it when the movie was coming out because my sister liked Rent a lot. West Side Story made me want to watch Newsies, which I've never seen all the way through. I have no desire to watch Newsies, just like I don't want to watch West Side Story again. That's what you should do with your parents tonight. Newsies. No, we should watch one of these movies that is the list of uh, regrets. We should watch Denzel. Yeah, that's I, I, I'm getting to it. All right. I have, I have movies I wanted to watch to either wrap up important categories like Best Actor, Best Actress, or for potential snubs. And the movies that are at the top of my list are The Tragedy of Macbeth, Worst Person in the World, Parallel Mothers, which I did rent almost a month ago and the rental is about to expire, Mitchells vs. the Machines, because I liked Encanto, but didn't love Encanto, and I think I would like Mitchells vs. the Machines more, and I want to root for it, but I can't do that yet. Uh, French Dispatch, because I like Wes Anderson, and I heard mixed reviews of French Dispatch. And again, we need more Timothy Chalamet, obviously. He's, he's only in half of the movies we watched. I think uh, Wes Anderson... I was thinking about Wes Anderson when we were talking about Licorice Pizza, asshole. What's his name? Paul Thomas Paul Anderson. Anderson. I was like, I feel like... The Andersons, if you will. Anderson, I feel like he... Both, they're both Him Andersons, and Paul Thomas Anderson feel like they could end up with this. Like, they could each both have the... Because they have such strong perspectives when they make their movies, and they're so famous now, and people are going to, like, fawn over whatever they do. I feel like Wes Anderson, maybe he has. We'd have to talk about his movies. Can, could easily do this. Make a movie that feels extremely Wes Anderson, but isn't good at all. But people are still into it because it's Wes Anderson and it has like a really strong perspective. But it just feels like specifically with French Dispatch, like the discourse is like, I now tire of it. This was the movie where I tired of his shtick. Twee? Is that what people yeah. are sick of? Uh, and the last movie that is a recent addition to the list that I have to see, I guess, is Annette. Because it was like written and partially starring the Sparks. And now I have to watch Wait, where it. does that fall into the Oscar discussion uh, people some people thought it was a snub oh, okay. uh, I mean obviously there's a lot of original music um I don't know I just now now I have to see it I heard I've heard wildly mixed things about that movie but it is like how old do you remember Green Book <laughs> pretty well is Coda and Green Book an analogy yes and it makes me sad I mean, I, certainly Green Book is worse than Coda yes but the same because I feel like Coda was in slightly better faith yeah um but yeah, it's like a 
quasi feel good movie, but when you think about it for half a second, it is uncomfortable. Yeah, because well, the reason that I thought about it was because Green Book is a feel good movie for white people, and Coda is a feel good movie for hearing people. Well, Jen, good news. You're a white hearing person. Right. Do you feel good? <laughs> That's the thing. When watching it, if you don't examine it critically, you kind of do, right? And so it's easy to be like, whatever. Why interfere with the joy? I will say, I will say maybe it's because I'm more aware of racism than I am at hearing discrimination. But I was much more immediately viscerally uncomfortable with Green Book and it took more examination to be uncomfortable uh, with but I, Yeah, but I think that's just a familiarity with the issues thing. Because I think like, I think Green Book, it was like, yes, you, like you said, it was it was immediate and you knew it and you didn't have to think about it that much more. And when I read stuff about it, it, it like there were occasional little points here and there, but it didn't like, whereas like watching Coda, it was kind of this like underlying feeling for me where I was like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Ooh, ick. And then like we watched it yesterday and I feel like I literally had a dream about Coda. And then this morning I woke up thinking about it and I just feel like more and more of it is making me a little uncomfortable. Uh, But I think it was trying harder to get it right. But was Green Book better written? Not not dealing with the race and, and hearing issues. As a script between the, like the dialogue. Yeah, like the dialogue and stuff. Because that was another really big failing for Coda. And Green Book, I think, was a little bit more competent in that regard. Probably. Annette starts Adam Driver and Marianne Cotillard. I do like an Adam Driver. I love Adam Driver. I, I really, it's really shot towards the top of my list. I'm currently extra obsessed with Sparks. It's actually unbearable to be in my house right now. He just plays it constantly. And some of those songs make sense. And some of them are real weird. Wait until I play the soundtrack to Annette all the time. So excited for that. Yes. Don't you all wish you could be here? He went to a Sparks concert. I'm like, oh, the Sparks, they've been around for a while. Those are 75-year-old men. That's really old. They're shockingly old. They're older than my parents who are very old. <laughs> my parents who like have a hard time, like they don't want to step on an airplane and these people are traveling the world dancing on stage. One of them is dancing. The Singing other one really is... weird songs. Yeah, it's great. Definitely watch the documentary and maybe watch Annette. I don't know. I can't recommend it yet, but I'm excited. I want you to have somebody on the podcast as like a rebuttal podcast. I want somebody to tell me why I'm being too hard on these movies. Johnny is the man for the job. No, he won't do it. Thank you, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our discussion, and I hope you enjoyed the movies, and I hope you enjoy the Oscars, and uh, have a good one. I think Annette might be really weird, Jen. I'm sure that it is. So it's instantly at the top of my list. <sighs> Are we watching Macbeth or Annette tonight? Real With your question. parents, Macbeth? Nope. Bye, everybody!